Uh, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, um, and we are going to be in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3 and chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, we are, uh, if you did not bring a Bible, if you didn't, if you left your Bible at home or left your Bible in the car, um, there's a blue Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can go ahead and pull out that blue Bible. And in the blue Bible, we're, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 is on page 1098. 1098. You're going to want a Bible. So if you didn't bring one, make sure you grab one of those blue ones. If you don't own a Bible, um, you, you didn't forget at home, you just, you just don't own one at all, uh, please take that blue one. That's our gift to you. Uh, that, that is yours to keep, to take home with you, to bring back with you next Sunday. It's, it's yours. Put your name in it. That's yours. Um, before we dive in, so we have been in this series that we've kind of jokingly, the Church of Jesus Christ, and each week we kind of jokingly say, hey, it's not what you think. Really, what we're wrestling through is just a simple question. What is the church? What is the church? What is our role as followers of Jesus? What is our role in the church? Um, and what is the church supposed to do? What's it supposed to be like? And that's what we've been wrestling through over the past uh, few weeks here at Flourishing Grace and what we're going to be wrestling through over the next couple weeks here at Flourishing Grace. And this morning we're going to be unpacking this idea of what role does the Word of God play in the church? But before we jump in, um, I want to answer a question. So each week we have been uh, kind of giving you the opportunity to, to, to text in your questions. And so we realize we're not going to be able to answer every single thing in the sermon series, but if you have a specific question about the church, you say, man, I've always been curious about this idea or this thing about the church, you can text in your question. So just text it in to, to 97000, so 97,000, and then in the body of the text, you have to put ask FGC, then your question, right? So in the body, you put ask FGC, then your question, and you'll know it works because you'll get a text back from us saying, hey, Good job. It worked. Thanks for your question. If you didn't get a response from us, it probably didn't work, and you should try again or ask somebody around you to help you figure that out. Um, so last week we got a question, and this is the question from last week. I want to answer this real quick before we dive in. It says this, when a church says they are a Christian church, but do not biblically line up with issues of salvation, right? They're not biblical. Are they, are, are they still a part of the bride, right? The bride of Christ. And so I think maybe uh, Benjamin preached last week um, in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul talks about uh, this, this paints this picture of the bride of Christ, right? Talking about how husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. The church is his bride. He gave himself up for her, right? And so this person is asking, man, if a church says, hey, we are a church, we love Jesus, but they're wrong on salvation, okay? You might say they're wrong on the, on the gospel. Now the gospel is bigger than just your individual salvation, but they're wrong on the gospel. Are they actually a church? Are they actually a church? Now the simple answer to the question is, is, is no. No, they're not. Um, now that, that might catch, catch you off guard a little bit. You'd be like, wait, what? That sounds, that sounds harsh. That doesn't seem right. If you logically think about it, it's actually a very simple answer to a simple question. It sounds complex. That's like a loaded question. I'm like, thanks for pointing the gun at me. Um, that's okay. I'll take it. Um, it's actually really simple. The answer is the answer's no. Um, and we unpacked this in the first week of this, of this series. And so in fairness, you should go back and listen to the, to the first sermon of this. You can go online and listen to that. Um, but when we said, man, the defining thing of a church, the thing that makes a church real and genuine and true, not necessarily right and healthy and good, but just genuine and true, is the gospel, right? Their view of, understanding of, implications of, submission to, the gospel. That's what, that's what makes a church a church. 
Without the gospel, you can't actually be the church. And if you get the gospel wrong, right, it's just no different than maybe the Boy Scouts or the Elks Club or, or, or the, the whatever different organization that you might be a part of. There, there's no difference in that, right? We can still gather. We can still talk about things. We can engage in social issues. But if we miss the gospel, the gospel creates the church. And so when it comes to issues of salvation, as this person says, right, so some of those issues might be uh, some, some, some gatherings that, that would say, man, we're a church, would say, well, there's multiple ways to salvation. Well, that's not the gospel. To say, well, you, if you have your way and this person has this way and, you know, other people are going to find their way. Like there's multiple ways. That's not the gospel. The gospel says there's only one way, and that way is Jesus, right? We sang about it earlier, Christ alone, nothing but the blood. There's only one singular way to salvation, right? And so if you, if you miss that, you've missed the gospel, and therefore cannot contain and display the gospel, which is what the church is called to do. You're not an outpost of the kingdom of God, which is what the church is. You just can't be it, right? If the church says, well, the, the salvation is you get a percentage of that. Jesus has given you a portion of salvation, but you actually need to earn the rest of it. Well, that's not the gospel either. The gospel is, is Christ has done 100% of the work on our behalf. And so if we've, if we've missed that, we've missed the mark, okay? Um, does that make sense? If you're still like, wait, why? That sounds deep. Go back and listen to the first sermon in this series. Uh, we unpack that further there. All right, let's dive into the Word this morning. So we're wrestling through the question this morning. Um, what, 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 does the, what role does the Word of God play in the church? What role does the Word of God play in the church. And I'm going to argue this morning, we've talked about this before, that the, the Word of God holds a unique authority in the church and is critical for the health of the church. It's critical for the health of the church. And we're going to look at this um, from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and part of chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in chapter 3, verse 10. Um, and in, in reverence to and respect of this, this Word that holds special authority, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? 2 Timothy, chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. This is Paul writing to Timothy. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearing, by his appearing in the kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to, to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Throughout all of, all of history, the history of the church, 2,000 years, Scripture has held a unique position and a unique authority within the church. There's really been, there's been three markers, three markers of the church. Um, there, there are many markers of the church, many things that you'd say, man, this, is, this defines the church, this is what the church looks like, this is what the church does. But for the past 2,000 years, there's been three things that have always been something that the church does and has and holds on to, right? One of them is the right preaching of the Word of God. The right preaching of the Word of God. The other two are baptism and communion. We're going to talk about baptism and communion in a few weeks from now. But those are, those are kind of the three things that the church has always kind of held to and said, man, these, these things are central things within in what we do. These are critical things that we participate in. So the right preaching of the Word has always kind of held this position in the church for uh, well over a thousand years. But it hasn't always necessarily been that way. There was a time when it wasn't. In order to really understand the church, you've got to understand some of church history. In order to understand the role of the Word of God, you have to understand some of church history. So if you, if you read the, through Acts, we studied through part of Acts last summer. We're going to dive back into it this summer, right? Paul and Barnabas, uh, John, Mark, Luke, they, they take the gospel right, to the ends of the earth. Throughout the Roman Empire, the gospel spreads. Paul goes to, to, to Antioch, he goes to Rome, he goes to uh, even North Africa. Paul is advancing the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Um, and churches are planted. Churches are planted through uh, what is modern-day Turkey and, and Asia. Churches are planted throughout the region, throughout the land, in, in Rome. And, um, these churches begin to spread and grow. Now fast forward 100 years after the end of Acts. 100 years. The church continues to advance. The church continues to spread. The church continues to, to move forward. But at the same time, at the same time, what happens is these local churches in these local towns and cities, they do not have access to the Word of God. They don't have access to that. The, the New Testament doesn't exist yet, so at best they might have a copy of one of Paul's writings, Right? They might have a copy of one of Paul's letters. They, might, they, they probably have at least one copy of a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, they, they for sure would have um, the Old Testament, the, the sacred Jewish and Hebraic writings. But some of these churches are now in, 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 in Roman outposts, in Roman colonies, right? And so they don't have, they, they can't read that. They, they can't read Hebrew. And so you, you, have these, you have confusion that begins to set in when the Word of God is removed from the church. Confusion begins to set in, and different opinions begin to form, right? People say, oh, I think it's this way, and no, 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 I think it's that way, about different doctrine, different issues, and things are going on. And there, there's mass confusion in the church about 100 years post-Acts. And this confusion is setting in, and then all of a sudden we begin to see kind of offshoots of Christianity. The biggest or the most well-known is Gnosticism. Gnosticism is uh, kind of this cult-like religion that's an offshoot of of biblical Christianity. And, and out of fear of what is happening, the church leaders get together and say, man, we need to kind of create some sort of order. We need to bring unity back to the church. And so they appoint uh, local, what they call bishops. 
and these bishops sit over Roman regions, okay? The kind of the, the five big ones in the beginning were uh, places like Rome, the Bishop of Rome, Bishop of Jerusalem, Bishop of Antioch, uh, Bishop of Constantinople, and the Bishop of Alexandria. Those were the five kind of initial big ones. Um, and then more followed after that as Rome advanced, as, as uh, more kingdoms were conquered, more bishops kind of took place. And what would happen is if when, when churches began to disagree on issues, they would go to that local bishop and he would open, he had access to the word, he had access to these writings, he would open and say, man, this is, this is what the word says on this issue. This is what the word, word says on this issue. Well, what happens when those bishops disagree? What happens when the bishop of Jerusalem disagrees with the bishop of Constantinople and the bishop of uh, Alexandria disagrees with the, with the bishop of uh, Antioch? What, what happens then? Well, in order to kind of solve that and figure that out, one of these positions kind of rose to a greater level of prominence, and that was the bishop of Rome. The bishop of Rome kind of became the one that kind of settled those disputes. It was the epicenter of the empire, right, the Roman Empire. Um, it was the place where Paul spent a, a good chunk of his time in ministry. And, and so we have, we have this person kind of rising to a position where, where they are entrusted with the Word of God. When there's a dispute, they would come to Rome and they would say, okay, let's look at the Scriptures together. Let's figure this out. Let's, let's be united as the church. Now, friends, let's just, let's just be clear. This is not necessarily a horrible thing. This is, these are good men trying to seek unity within the church. Well, fast forward 300 years. So, so what you have on one hand, on one hand, without, without, if you remove the word of God from the church, you have confusion, okay? Fast forward 300 years. People begin to see that the position of Bishop of Rome is a very powerful position. The church becomes a, a political, holds political control within the Roman Empire, and so the person who sits as the bishop of Rome holds political power and religious power. And so corrupt men begin to say, I mean, I want that position. So enter 300 years later, enter Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great is kind of the first guy who it really just destroys the whole thing. This is where we see this position become very, the person becomes very wealthy, very rich, and begins to manipulate the people because the people, again, don't have access to the word of God. And so this person who has all access and all authority now can manipulate people and say, actually, what you need to do in order for salvation is to pay me. And so people begin to, to buy indulgences and all kinds of crazy things. And so now this is 400 years after the book of Acts. You have this person who is controlling all things, manipulating all things. And so again, what we see on the flip side, if you remove the word of God from the church, what you have is manipulation. So you either have confusion or manipulation, one way or the other. This is what you have if you remove the Word of God from the church. Now, enter the Reformers. This all changes with, with the, with the uh, invention of the, the printing press, right? The Gutenberg Press. The Gutenberg Press prints the first ever edition of the Bible in, in Latin. And along comes a guy by the name of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther gets his hands on one of those copies. And he begins to read the Bible for himself. <gasps> Scandalous. Martin Luther translates that Bible into his common German language. Now, every regular, run-of-the-mill Joe Germaner can read the Bible for themselves. 
And so what you see in southern Germany, in northern Switzerland, is absolute rebellion. This, this reformation within the church because they're reading and they're saying, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say I owe you money. It doesn't say you have to pay for salvation. It says that salvation is given freely. You've been fooling me the entire time. And, and, and really war breaks out in Switzerland over this idea. The Catholic Church marches on Switzerland. War is fought over this. You have been lying to us. And the Reformation is birthed because people can now read the Bible for themselves. Now fast forward another 500 years. 2019. There's a Bible underneath every chair in this room. Most of you in the room probably have multiple Bibles in your house. And it's become so common that now... It holds no authority anymore. We've said, yes, great. You should read your Bible, but not follow it, not obey it. It's become so common within the church that the church just kind of takes advantage of it and just, and just thinks less of it. For some churches, it's, it's just kind of this, this good thing where we can read the promises of God and re- read this wisdom of God as it gives us good information for our lives that we can follow or not follow, whatever you want to do. We've forgotten that it holds a unique and special authority within the church. Those reformers, when they, when they approached the Word of God, they approached, it, they approached it in a unique way. They came up with these, with these things called five solas, and one of those solas was sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Now what that does not mean is that scripture, what they would say is scripture, is, scripture alone is sufficient. It is sufficient. What they don't mean by that is that it's sufficient for everything, right? It's not sufficient for everything. They knew it's not sufficient for everything, right? You can't, you would die if that's all you had, right? You would die of thirst because you can't drink your Bible, okay? Now, living water, okay, you can find that there, but, but actual water, it, it, biological life would cease to exist if all you had was Scripture. It's not sufficient in and of itself for all things. It's sufficient, what the Reformers would say, it's sufficient for everything we need to know about who God is, Scripture is sufficient. And everything we need to know about who God wants us to be and what He wants us to do, Scripture is sufficient for that. We do not need someone else to tell us how to act. We do not need someone else to tell us who God is like. And for them, in their context, what they're saying is we do not need the Pope of Rome to tell us how to behave. Scripture is sufficient for that. Scripture is sufficient for that. And as we'll see in this text this morning, Scripture is sufficient for that. The first thing that we see in this text in James is that Scripture is completely sufficient for us to know the gospel. Scripture is sufficient for us to completely know the gospel. If you look at verse 13... It says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, right? Without the scriptures, this is what you get. You have people who are being deceived and who are deceiving. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to... Make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Scripture is not sufficient for salvation, but it's sufficient for the knowledge of salvation. You can completely know the gospel from Scripture. You do not need anything else. You do not need someone else. 
We do not need a pope. We do not need a pastor, a priest, a prophet, or a king to tell us anything more than what is already found in Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that, 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 that you must read Scripture in order to come to the knowledge of Christ. Someone could explain the Scripture to you to, for you to come to knowledge of Christ. But everything that we need, every, all the access is right here. It's in the Word of God. It's sufficient for our knowledge of the gospel. And when Paul writes this to Timothy, he's not even talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old. He's not talking about the New Testament. Timothy doesn't have access to that yet. He's talking about the Old. He's talking about the Hebraic writings. He's talking about what Paul is saying is everything you need to know about salvation you can find in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Every word on every page, every story, every ounce of it is all about salvation in the person of Christ. Every single piece of it, every story, every prophecy, all of it is about Christ. All of, us point, all of it points us to him. Right? You think of just simple stories, kids' stories. Jonah in, in the whale, Jonah in the big fish, right? Jonah was thrown overboard out of the ship for the salvation of the men on the ship. In order to save others, Jonah was sacrificed. Jonah goes into the belly of the whale for three days before he is released. And he comes forth out onto the shore and he carries the good news of a loving God to the people who are far from God, the people of Nineveh. What does that remind us of? What does that call us to? Jonah, when, these, when little Hebrew boys and girls hear the story of Jonah, it's meant to be burnt in their minds so that when they see their Savior, one who would die for the sake of those he loves and cares for, goes into the tomb for three days and then reemerges from the tomb alive and well and then carries the gospel. The gospel is then extended to those who are far off, the Gentiles. They would think, that's who God is. That's who God is. All the stories are the same way. Daniel and the lion's den, David and Goliath, they're all about Jesus. They're all, they all exist to form our minds into minds that would receive a Savior in the form of the one that God would send for us, Christ. The law is there to remind us that we, that we are unable to, to fulfill what God has called us to fulfill. We need one who is going to fulfill that for us. The sacrificial system is, one that is, is a system that is meant to point us and direct us to say this is how God saves through sacrifice, through blood. It, it's all there to point us to Christ. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, all you need is the Word of God in Christ. The Word of God will point you to Christ. It is sufficient for knowledge to find faith. And Jesus is sufficient for the gospel. And so therefore, it's sufficient to create and to birth the church. Second piece is that it's sufficient for our growth. Now, Binger spent a lot of time on this last week, um, how we grow in Christ and how we grow as a church um, in our depth and our understanding of the gospel. Binger did an amazing work on this. Paul says, Scripture is sufficient for this. If you look at verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says, Timothy, you, you want to become like Jesus? You want to grow in Christ? Read your Bible, dude. It's, it's not hard. Scripture is sufficient for us to grow in Christ, that we might be complete in Him, 
It might, that, we, that we might become like him. Now, is it perfect? Okay? It's not going to make you perfect. But if you want to become complete in Christ, you want to become one who is shaped and molded into the likeness of Christ, that you would be, that you'd be sanctified from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. Scripture is how we do that. You cannot be a disciple of Christ and ignore your Bible. This is why we're so passionate about it here at Flourishing Grace. This is why we talk about this all the time, every person, every day, right? If you've been around, you've, you've heard us talk about this, we have a reading plan for every single age group, adults, teenagers, uh, preschoolers, elementary. We want every single man, woman, and child at Flourishing Grace to be in the Word every single day because we know, we know the more you are in the Word, the more you will look like Christ, the more your life will contain and display the glory of the gospel, and the more you as an individual do that, the more we as a church will. The health of the church hinges on the Word of God. The role it plays in the church defines the health of the church. The more we submit to its authority, the more we see it as the Word of our King, the Word of our Savior, and the Word of our God, the healthier we become. Because we then become obedient to it, and it is sufficient for our completion. All right, the last piece of this, and this is where I want to kind of camp out the most this morning. Scripture is sufficient in the midst of brokenness, confusion, and persecution. So, kind of Bible reading 101. Bible reading 101. You don't just read a verse and say, okay, that, there, there it is, and, and I'm just going to take that verse and I'm going to apply it to my life. To find the meaning of that verse, you must look at the verse within context, right? If you've been around the church, if you've if, you've, if you know anything about studying Scripture, that's what you have to do. You take that verse and you look at it in, its, in, in the section of, of the Scripture that's in, within the context of its chapter, within the context of the book, within the context of the whole Bible, in order to find the meaning of the verse. In, this, in the middle of this passage, there is a famous verse, a verse that, that many of you in the room probably might know from memory, right? We've already, we've already read it a couple times, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's good for, okay, maybe you don't have it memorized. All right. It's, it's so unbelievably well known because it's the scripture that we go to to, to, to point out the authority of the word, to, to point out um, the, the importance of the word, how good the word is, right? That scripture, though, is sandwiched in a context. What is its context? This is the less known and less understand, understood thing about this text. It's sandwiched in the context of persecution, confusion, and brokenness. You see, Paul, Paul says, he says, um, in verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. That verse, verse 12, right? He talks about, he's talking about his persecutions, his sufferings that he suffered at, at Antioch and, and Lystrum. And um, he's saying that this is coming for you, Timothy. This is coming for you. In fact, every single person who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. What are we going to do? What do we do? We turn to the Word of God. We turn to the Word of God. The Word of God is the thing that keeps us upright. Often when, when we talk about the, when I talk to our staff or to our uh, lead shepherds about um, the church, I, I use the metaphor of, of a boat. And, and in many different ways it, it works. And this one in particular works, right? 
I don't know if you know much about sailing or if you've, if you've ever been sailing before, but uh, when, when there's a massive storm, right, small sailboat, massive storm, hurricane-level storm, what they do with the boat is they don't try and sail out of the storm. It would absolutely destroy the boat, right? You, you try to catch wind in the middle of a, of a hurricane, it's not going to end well for you. And so you strike your sails, you remove the sails, you go below, you batten down the hatches, and you trust the keel of the boat. The keel is the weight on the bottom of the boat that pulls the boat down as the buoyancy pushes up. And so it doesn't matter if, if the boat capsizes. It doesn't matter. The boat in a hurricane is going to roll again and again and again and again. But the keel is always going to pull down as buoyancy always pulls up. And in the end, when the storm is over, the boat will be upright. It'll be upright. The Word of God is the keel of the church. It's the keel of the church. In the midst of brokenness, confusion, and persecution, we trust the keel of the boat. We cling to the keel. When the storms come, and they will, for all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, storms are coming. We trust the keel. The Word of God is the keel of the church. And friends, it's the keel of your life. Because they're coming for you too as individuals. The storm is coming. We trust in the keel. And when we fail to trust in the keel, we're either smashed on the rocks or we drowned. It's, it's, really, it's really true. It's really simple, right? You see in the church all the time, churches who fail to trust the keel crash into the rocks. When the pastor has an affair uh, with, with someone who's not his wife, and he's, he's going to leave his wife, and the church says, we're going to stand by him. He's a good man. We're going to stand by him. And they pursue the captain rather than trusting the keel. They all drowned in the process. We've seen it again and again and again and again. Churches who say, it's okay. You, you don't have to believe anything about the gospel or anything about the word of God. Just come on. Just come one. Come all. We're all the same. There's many ways of salvation, right? It's just not important. Just, just work hard. Just work hard and do your thing, right? Basically what they're saying is, I know we're in the middle of a hurricane. Just keep swimming. You're going to be fine. No, you're not. You're going to drown. We need the church, and the church needs a solid keel, a weight that holds it down in the midst of storms, we trust the keel. We gather, we say, what does the word of God say? Let's be obedient to it. Let's submit our lives to it. Let's find the, our, our salvation and our hope there amongst the keel. Now, some of you might say, Josh, you, you realize that in order to trust the keel, in order to be obedient to the word of God, it, it could cost me my friendships. If I'm obedient to the Word of God completely and fully, I submit my life to it, it could cost me my job, it could cost me my career. Church, what are my neighbors going to think? My family, they don't they believe something else, Just If I'm completely obedient to the Word of God, how do I know I can trust it? And that, friends, is why Paul sandwiches that verse in the middle of this text. All Scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can trust the word of God in the midst of the storm because it is breathed out by God. Every word on every page holds his authority over our lives and over his church, his bride, the outpost of the kingdom. 
Now, friends, this is not an easy thing to do, and Paul knows it's not an easy thing to do, which is why he goes on. He says to Timothy, I says in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, be a good person, Timothy. I, ch- I charge you on behalf of Christ who is going to judge the living and the dead on his appearing, on, the past, on behalf of his salvation in his kingdom, the church. I charge you to just work harder to please him. Now it's not what he says. He says, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. When everything's going well and when nothing's going right, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with, com- with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Time's coming, Timothy when the Word of God is just going to be too much to bear. And you'll be down there clinging to the keel, and your friends, your loved ones are going to be abandoning ship. The storm is coming, Timothy, and you're going to trust in the Word of God, but your friends are going to abandon ship. They're going to seek other teachers. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. They're going to say, no, 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 that's not what the Word of God says. If you just kind of turn things around, if you ignore those few verses, here's what it actually really means. It means you're fine, you're okay, don't worry about it. We see this all over in our culture today. We see it all over. People just find, someone just tell me that it's okay, that I don't need to actually submit fully to that part of the Bible. I'll submit to the rest of it. I just don't want to submit to that thing and that thing and that thing. Just tell me something different. You can, you can find people who will tell you whatever you want to hear. The Word of God is hard to endure. Sound teaching is hard to endure. In my office, there hangs a quote by Karl Barth. Karl Barth was a German pastor and theologian, mentor of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Karl Barth says this about the Word of God. He says, The Word of God is not for sale. Therefore, it has no need of shrewd salesmen. The Word of God is not seeking patrons. Therefore, it refuses price-cutting and bargaining. Therefore, it has no need of a middleman. The Word of God does not compete with other commodities which are being offered to men on the bargain counter of life. It does not, be, does not care to be sold at any price. It only desires to be its own genuine self without being compelled to suffer alterations and modifications. It will, however, not stoop to overcome resistance with bargain counter methods. Promoters' sham su- promoter successes are sham victories. Their crowded churches and the breathlessness of their audience have nothing in common with the Word of God. What Karl Barth is saying is, it is not our job, your job, or my job to to make the Word of God fit what we want it to fit. It doesn't need a salesman. It doesn't need somebody to say, it's going to be okay if we just move some things around, then you'll love the Word of God. It doesn't need a salesman. It doesn't need a middleman to try and convince you that it's worthy or good. It just needs to be itself. It is the Word of God that holds all authority over our lives. It, it, is, it is good and right for us to submit to it because in submitting to it, we're submitting to God himself. It doesn't need a prophet. It doesn't need a priest. It doesn't need a king. It doesn't need a pastor. It just needs to be itself. 
So here at Flourishing Grace, we just hold up the word. We say, this is what the word says. Let us be a people who submit to it. And as we submit to it, it's good to bring us about to completion. It's good to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ, the one who was completely obedient to it, by the way. In every way, shape, and form, Christ was obedient to the word. He fulfilled the word so that he could go to the cross and be obedient beyond the word, be obedient to the Father all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so in obedience to the word, we take the likeness of Christ. We become like him. As we submit our lives to the word, we are shaped and molded into his image because he was the image of the word. In every way, shape, and form, he became what the word called him to become. You want to become like Christ, read your Bible and obey it. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray a special prayer for us this morning in this gathering. A special prayer for Flourishing Grace Church, that, that as, long, as long as you would have breath and life in Flourishing Grace, that your word would hold a unique authority here, that it would never become optional, that it would never become trivial, but that it would always be sacred and holy and right. That we would, every single week, that we as followers of Jesus would long to gather underneath the teaching of it, that, that our hearts, our souls would hunger for the teaching of it. Say, I cannot wait to sit underneath the teaching of the Word. I pray for us as individuals. I know that in this room right now, there are people who are going through storms within their life. Things are going on in their marriages. Things are going on in their careers. Things are going on with friendships. May they trust in your Word. Where they know it's sufficient. That no matter how many times the boat may roll, your Word will upright their life when they come out on the other side when the storm is over the boat will be upright let us not abandon ship let us not drive it into the rocks let us trust in your word pray this in the name of Jesus amen